Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, June 24th, marks our 155th program. Today's featured Actus solution are the Actus Clinical Documentation Integrity Boot Camps. Just wanted to let you know that right now you can get access to our best-in-class CDI boot camps in a convenient, practical online format for 50% off the listed price. Actus is extending this special discount in recognition that CDI professionals have been hard hit personally and, and financially from the COVID-19 crisis. We do have a number of boot camps uh, available there, and if you use code CDI online, when you check out, that will automatically populate that discount. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, COVID-19 Queries and Frontline Workflow. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Charm Brody. Charm is a full-time instructor for us here at Actus, teaching our CDI boot camps, as well as serving as a subject matter expert. She has more than 35 years in the healthcare industry, including multiple areas of nursing and a wide variety of roles. Prior to joining us here, she worked as a consultant, providing program audits, implementation, and continuing education. And I'm, I'm pleased to have her on the program. So welcome, Charm. Hi, Brian. A really nice virtual conference last week. Thank oh. you. Yeah, thanks for being a part of it. That went really well. Stay, it did. We'll get we'll get into that maybe a little on today's show. All right. So we also have with us today uh, three three special guests. Starting left to right, we have Jennifer Cavignac. Uh, Jennifer is the Assistant Director of Clinical Documentation Improvement at Bay State Health System, uh, and sort of in my neck of the woods in Springfield, Mass. Uh, in her current role, she leads a team of skilled clinical documentation specialist, coding compliance, post-discharge reviewers, and inpatient and outpatient coders across four campuses of the Bay State Health System. Uh, the metrics and feedback she delivers to the providers has resulted in consistent and positive collaboration and engagement with the entire medical staff leadership. Told they have a 97% plus average response rate to queries in less than 48 hours. She's doing a great job at Bay State, and I'm pleased to have her on the show. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. All right. We also have with us today uh, Dr. Jonna Legata, uh, told to refer to him colloquially as uh, Dr. Jonna. So he is a hospitalist and physician advisor at Bay State Medical Center along with Jennifer. Uh, Dr. Jonna received his medical degree from Osmania Medical College, India, completed his master's in public health at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia and finished his internal medicine residency at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx, joined Bay State Hospital in 2013 and served as unit medical director for the oncology unit, and then transitioned to physician advisor in 2018. Getting a little bit of background noise there, just maybe someone could mute their phone while we work through that. All right, but I did want to uh, welcome Dr. Jonah to the program, so welcome. Thank you, Thank you for having me. And then we also have with us today Marisa McClary. Uh, Marisa has dedicated her career to improving healthcare workflows through innovative technology, 
with a particular focus on designing systems for physicians, her commitment to improving the usability of technology physicians for physicians led her and Mir Gottlieb to co-found Artifact Health, Inc. in 2014. As the CEO of that company, McClary leads the company to design easy-to-use, efficient technology for physicians in a mobile query management platform. And I'm very pleased to have her on to add her perspective on today's topic as well. So welcome, Marisa. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Sean, for having me. All right. Well, as I always do, we're going to start with a uh, poll question related to today's topic. So let me go ahead and get that launched. And on your screen, you should be seeing that. Um, the question we're asking today is, how did you handle provider queries during the initial COVID-19 surge? And it's, you know, I was just mentioning to our guests before the show, it's the surge we're talking about, of course, happened in here in Massachusetts and at Bay State, New York, California. Of course, now we're seeing it throughout the remainder of some other areas of the country as we speak. But curious how folks are hand, hand, did handle the query process during the initial COVID-19 surge or outbreak. And your options are uh, there was really no change. It was business as usual for the query process. Perhaps you reduced query response times or escalations. Uh, did you stop most or all queries? Maybe you don't know or not applicable. Once again, how did you handle provider queries during the initial COVID-19 surge? And your options are we made no change, it was business as usual, reduced query uh, response times or perhaps query escalations. Did you stop queries, most or all of them? Don't know, are not applicable. All right, I'm showing about 75% of our audience has weighed in, so we're going to close this poll out and we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, uh, Jennifer Kavignac, Marisa McClary, and Dr. John are our special guests today. All, I want to welcome you to the show, and thanks for being a part of the podcast. Um, I thought we could start with some insight into how uh, Bay State Health has fared and is faring during the COVID-19 outbreak. As I alluded to, uh, you guys are in Massachusetts. Now, Massachusetts is a relatively small state, but I'm out on the uh, the eastern seaboard, a little bit north of Boston, and you guys are a little more uh, west central. So um, just curious about how COVID-19 impacted uh, your facility um, at Bay State. So maybe I'll turn it over to you, Jennifer, to start with that. Good morning. Um, yeah, so uh, we started, our, our side of the state, Western Mass, started to see an uptick of uh, uh, COVID positive cases in mid-March, and we really reached a peak in mid-April. Um, thankfully, now we're we're appreciating a, a decline in, in cases, and our state is starting to adjust uh, quarantine restrictions, um, albeit very uh, in, a, in a slow but very methodical manner. Um, many of us have not visited the inside of a restaurant for many months now, and right. looking forward to that, but um, <laughs> but uh, but we're we're reaching a, a a a better a better state as far as our case mix and um, starting to see a little bit more of a, a 
diverse mix okay. um, in the last few weeks. And just curious too, if you've been able to resume, you know, elective surgeries or having. Um, there's, there's, yeah, we're starting to, we're starting to get more people scheduled in for elective surgeries. Um, not back to a, to what we had previously, certainly, but, uh, but that's, that's moving forward now. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Good. Jennifer, hi, this is Sham. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what your CDI department ended up doing? Did they go home? Did they stay? I can't imagine they stayed on site, so I'm guessing they all went home. Um, but were you asked to, a lot of these CDI departments across the country were asked to do other things other than just CDI. Were any of yours asked to do any um, any jobs that probably wouldn't have been part of their resume prior? Um, and how did you handle physician education? Those are all really great questions. Thanks, Sharm. Um, so, as many other CDI programs experienced, um, our teams, uh, our team here at Bay State, um, pre-COVID work on site, um, round on units. They are um, currently now working from home, uh, along with many of our other support teams. Uh, they began work from home in mid-March. Um, our INT departments worked very swiftly to provide secure virtual desktop access for them um, and all our remote staff and it helped us to maintain our operations without any, any, um, any disruption. Um, our CDI lead, Charles Red, um, and myself remain on campus and, and continue to do so, uh, working from our office, and we facilitate and troubleshoot anything that may arise and, and are a, a face uh, to meet with anyone um, should that be necessary. Um, masked, of course. <laughs> um, as soon as our teams were sent home um, and no longer visiting the units that they covered, um, our Charles Red um, and myself led uh, physician champion touch points several times a week uh, via WebEx and phone. So this is how we um, evaluated and spent time with our champions to go over um, education points and provide updates, especially regarding um, you know COVID um, directives and documentation needs. Um, or any any other matter of things. Um, and we continue to arrange and plan those larger meetings um, that we expect and anticipate to be holding virtually for some time um, until we can gather in larger groups. Um, we have some resident training that's slated in the coming months. Um, again, we'll be doing that via WebEx. And we are going to continue, as we always have with our CDI, to do a rotational time one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Of course, we'll be doing that virtually now. Uh, to to really just have a, a sit down chat and understand and share what our role is and, and what we do and to be uh, sort of that support person should any questions come up along the way in their residency. Um, as far as uh, any working off job description, our CDI team have really remained focused um, exclusively with CDI efforts. Um, although we've, we've definitely had uh, um, you know, a lot of adjustments across the healthcare system for folks um, as needs arise or um, and, and tasks were reduced, uh, typical tasks were reduced for, for folks um, to, to focus in, in other areas of need. Um, but with the support of our leadership and, and the understanding from, from our healthcare system uh, about what CDI does, we've remained exclusively working in that role. Mm -hmm. Great. 
Thank you. Yeah, also um, just curious about the, the, the query process now and, and query expectations. Did, did those change uh, at all? We're, I'm going to be curious to see how our poll shakes out here, but we're asking folks if they had, if they, you know, reduced res response times or escalation. I'm thinking especially of that surge that we all had here in Massachusetts, uh, Jennifer. Uh, I would like to answer this question. Yeah. Dr. Joan, are you there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, our CDI team has been uh, assigned geographically, so do our passport list. Um, because they are in the same floor working together, they had huge opportunity in the morning um, participating in the AM huddle, and they can interact with passport list um, at the same time, um, address the queries on the same day. That used to happen before COVID-19, but now the CVA is working um, remotely. It did have some uh, impact. Uh, there is some um, decreased response time because of that. Mm -hmm. As a physician advisor, I also try to lower my expectations and wanted to give them uh, give our hospitalists some time to respond in this difficult time. But uh, we had a we have great team and so far our agree rate and also response timing has been within our goals and um, artifact definitely made our job easy and thank you for um, Marisa and also her, her team as well. Jen also started uh, working with uh, physician champions not only me other um, Patient champions from surgery, pediatrics, and uh, we have champions from community hospitals. We touch base with um, Jen every week, and uh, we go through all the queries pending more than a week. And I reach out to them, our hospitalist, if there's any, if they have any questions, and if they have any concerns uh, addressing the queries, and that also helped uh, so much. But so far, our goal of within 48 hours addressing the query is actually meeting across the uh, organization, which is uh, really good. Mm -hmm. That's great. You're able to stay in that 48 hour window. And that was true throughout this, this outbreak. I don't know if there was any, I think you might've alluded to, there was some, perhaps some impact um, due to COVID-19. I think in some situations where, you know, in uh, especially in the retrospective queries, there is some uh, lag, but uh, most of the concurrent queries, you are able to uh, achieve the goal, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That is good. So, um, oh, Jen, were you going to say something? Go ahead. No, I just, I wanted to say that, um, you know, prior to COVID, um, prior to March, um, our query rate and, and response rates were, were good, really good. Um, however, one of the things that we were surprised by, and, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more on this, is, is that we actually didn't have a, uh, we didn't diminish our query, um, query uh, uh, generation. Um, we didn't exclude anything during, during the COVID uptick. 
And we actually found that our, our query volume increased um, and additionally our um, response rate went up. Um, so we, we actually had more work uh, generated during the, during the COVID months. Um, but a lot of that had to do with our, our workflow too. Mm -hmm. I, you know what, I would suspect that you would have a, just not being in a hospital, but suspected that a lot of places probably saw an increase when you were going for any related complications or organ dysfunction related to the, the COVID. I would have thought that would have generated quite a few different queries that maybe wouldn't have been generated prior. Definitely, while it's a central, uh, you know, central condition that had, you know, and has certain uh, certain hallmark criteria. Um, I think our opportunities within, you know, certain organ failures and and those uh, respiratory infections that proceeded to manifest as a as a sepsis were were some of those key areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you did have some success with the COVID nineteen template. Um, can you explain to some of the people or talk about the query template library? Um, and how physicians at Bay State receive these different queries from you? Sure, sure. Um, in March, we did change our query, at the beginning of March, we changed our query process from what had um, primarily been an email and verbal-based query practice to utilizing Artifact, um, which is a mobile, um, a mobile application, um, allows providers to respond uh, via, the, via the app, um, which then um, we can incorporate directly into the EMR, into the medical record. Um, this was implemented just two weeks prior to the COVID uptick. And, um, you know, while we had anticipated before go live that we would, we would have a, maybe a small decrease in, or uh, slowness in response as folks were learning and adopting the new process, um, we found that our, the timing couldn't have been better uh, for the impl implementation. Um, our query rates and our responses actually increased and improved. Um, and I think, as Jonah could attest, our, our providers were thrilled with it. Um, it made it much easier for them to handle the task. And uh, some of our historically resistant folks uh, really embraced it with, with a lot of ease. Um, the templates that we chose to adopt uh, to use uh, in Artifact are from Actus. Um, we, we made that choice based on uh, review of those templates and felt that the structure of each of those queries made uh, good sense clinically and they were very easy to use. Um, Charm and Lori were absolutely fantastic uh, receiving our questions and feedback um, regarding designs and content. And our turn the turnaround time on that feedback was tremendous and allowed us to develop query templates that we, um, that we needed um, that we had a strong need for, and, and that turnaround time happened, you know, in less than a day or two with, uh, with um, Marissa's uh, team's help. So um, we, just, we just had tremendous success with, with this implementation um, and this workflow change. And again, you know, in the midst of COVID with our team moving from uh, working physically in a hospital to now working from home, um, and for our providers to to be able to still maintain a contact and a touch point with us um, with ease uh, made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I was going to add to that. I think um, your your go live was one of the most memorable ones uh, where 
on March 2nd and um, came back the second week just to do a check-in and were ushered out of the hospital, of course, because everybody was sent home. Uh, so it was, you know, it's a testament to Jen and, and Dr. Jonah's team. I mean, they picked this up really uh, quickly and adopted it and have had great success. But, um, you know, we've really taken to heart that our customers have expressed gratitude for the ability to do their jobs remotely using our technology. And I think one of the bigger lessons that we've learned from this pandemic is that although it's helpful for CDI teams to be on site for education, their jobs can absolutely be done from home and they can work efficiently because of the technology now at their disposal. Right. Yeah, good stuff. We're learning here too. We, we delivered our first virtual event last week in, in lieu of our national conference and everything's going remote and technology based and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's heartening to see that, that, CDI professionals have been able to transition and work remote, and and I know in the coming weeks and months, as we transition back, uh, there'll be challenges. But um, it's nice to know that this technology can be adopted and, and utilized and successfully in in the CDI workflow. I guess, but before we wrap up here, any any final lessons that you guys learned at Bay State from the outbreak? Again, we are seeing. Some other parts of the country now experiencing steep upticks in in COVID nineteen admissions, and just wondering if um, you guys have any lessons for our listeners. If I may, I'll I'll jump in. Um, really, I personally learned how important it was for me as a leader to focus on what I could do to best support my team and our providers. Um, you know, through COVID. Um, we were appreciated to face so many unknowns um, as it was ramping up in our area, and um, I think one of the one of the ways that I could could do that was to really help ensure that we embraced and um, leveraged our communication tools to help each other. Um, Artifacts absolutely filled that gap to help us deliver queries in a way that the providers could appreciate and address simply and easily on their own time. Um, and and quite quickly, um, it just defines and delivers the tasks that needed to be done. Um, having it outside of email and it readily incorporated into the EMR is compliant, and it removed that subjective interruption and feeling that it's felt when it's when you receive email. Um, and we didn't have to play a chase game on unanswered queries, so it gave everyone a respect for their time and their and their need and their focus. Uh, as as things were so severe, um, and I really I really appreciate what what Artifact has been able to do and what Actus has been able to provide with us and quick feedback with with uh, and support with the templates uh, to help us really succeed at what we we aim to do every day. Um, so uh, one thing that I learned most is uh, you know helping to support the team. Um, and using those tools effectively. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Jennifer. Appreciate that. Um, let's take a look at how our poll turned out. Again, we asked folks uh, how they handled provider queries during the initial COVID-19 surge. So about two-thirds said no change, business as usual. 23% uh, did reduce their query response times or their escalation escalation policies. 
6% stopped queries, either most of them or all together. 1% um, no, don't know and 4% not applicable. As I always say, we have some listeners that aren't working in the acute care setting. Any surprises here for our panel about these poll results? Uh, not, not from me. I mean, I think hospitals expect uh, to lose significant revenue this year and, and across the board, our customers are saying they need to lean on CDI review even more. Uh, otherwise, they're going to risk losing additional reimbursement. So I, I think business as usual makes sense. And plus, these hospitals have a, you know, a paramount public health responsibility to document and report COVID patient data as accurately and comprehensively as possible. I mean, certainly, you know, our safety and the development of therapeutics and vaccines is going to depend on that. Yep, absolutely. Anything else here, Jennifer or Dr. Jonah? Yeah, I agree that um, we expect to see from the use the use response times. I think uh, that is definitely uh, expected in this digital times from the providers. Um, even working remotely, CDA team has been doing a great job uh, with the help of Artifact um, so that we can address this uh, um, queries as soon as possible so that we can close the charts and submit the charts for the you know, It's very important. All right. I had a little hard time with your volume there, but that's that's fine. Let's um let's go ahead and, and move to our last segment of the show today. Hang on just a moment. Okay. We're gonna switch of course to our in the news segment. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, sorry, I'm gonna go ahead and pause and mute our staff here for just a moment we're getting a lot of feedback there sorry about that folks all right so in the news is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the cdi profession today i did want to discuss we we did get another oig audit uh, across the desk recently which proves that even during the pandemic the the watchdogs are still watching um, this was a a stratified random sample of 123 inpatient and 22 outpatient claims with payments totaling 4.1 million. Although I, I will say that this this was a two-year audit period that was well prior to COVID-19, January 1st, 2016 through December 31st, 2017. It's entitled uh, Medicare Hospital Provider Compliance Audit, the Ohio State University Hospital. It was released uh, June 8th very recently um, it stated that the OIG found that the hospital um, complied with Medicare billing requirements for 98 of 145 inpatient and outpatient claims it audited, however, did not fully comply with Medicare billing requirements for the remaining 47 claims that resulted in net overpayments, according to the OIG, of 335K. Um, Specifically, 26 inpatient claims had billing errors and 21 outpatient claims had billing errors. But what the OIG did, of course, was they uh, extrapolated. It's one of their methods for recouping. They use a method of extrapolation. I'll scroll down to that a little bit here on your screen. And uh, based on that, they they estimated that, the, that um, Ohio State University received overpayments of at least 3.7 million for the audit period and recommended that they refund that. 
as well as exercise reasonable diligence to identify, report, and return any overpayments in accordance with the 60-day rule and strengthen controls to ensure full compliance um, with Medicare requirements. I will say that uh, Ohio State University disagreed with most of the OIG's findings and recommendations. They did agree that some of these uh, claims did contain errors and repaid Medicare 396K. However, they disagreed with the OIG's extrapolation, audit design, and methodology, um, and several of the medical review determinations. Um, it's interesting that more than half of the OIG's findings were related to reportedly incorrect inpatient rehabilitation facility claims, um, and really dug in its heels here and stated that uh, essentially that medical necessity of acute inpatient rehab is based on the patient being medically stable enough to benefit from ERF or inpatient rehab facility, a need for coordinated care for multiple therapy services, expectation that the patient will benefit from intense rehab services, and the need for close medical supervision to support participation in an intense therapy program. Um, I thought Ohio State made a, made a great point by stating that these claims, especially around um, you know, inpatient uh, admission to inpatient rehab could have all been successfully challenged in court prior to the OIG's extrapolation and thus the recommendation for repayment is invalid. Um, I put these out there um, not to point at any particular hospital, but just to let folks know that these audit auditing programs are going on. The OIG has a work plan it publishes. It says what it's going to look at throughout the year you know, often are uh, high risk or high severity DRG codes, inpatient rehab has been a target, um, ventilation hours and ventilation times have been recent targets of the OIG and that these reports are ongoing. They're certainly worth reviewing to see where the auditors are looking and how you might strengthen your own claims to, uh, to prevent these types of, of audits. So recommend checking that out as we always do. We, we will link to this in the show notes, but um, curious if any of our uh, listeners have any, uh, excuse me, any of our panelists today have any thoughts on, on, the, on this particular audit? I don't know, Jennifer, if you have anything to say about the OIG report today or, or, these, uh, state, or these reports in general? Um, having, having experienced OIG uh, in the past, um, one of the things that I've definitely tried to take into account is what can be learned from it. Um, most certainly, uh, one of the hard things to do is uh, really appreciate, um, uh, you know, where your risk is. And so one thing that I recommend is as as a facility is to look closely at what OIG um, has identified for areas of audit, um, use those as learning opportunities, and and um, and uh, do our very best to make sure that all the requirements are are noted clearly uh, in case uh, in case you come under study. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, I think we're going to wrap up yeah, today. Oh, go ahead. Was that Marisa? Oh. Yeah, I was just going to add, I think, you know, from a technology perspective, one of our goals is to help our hospital customers maintain a compliant and transparent 
physician query workflow. So for example, with Artifact, all CDI queries are placed in the chart in the legal medical record. And we feel that's best practice, but certainly not something all hospitals have moved to. Um, so, you know, we, we, we try really hard to help hospitals with that. We track and maintain logs on all users and all the actions taken on queries when they're sent, when they're opened, responded to. So in situations where customers need to support their billing decisions, you know, we have all of the data they need to, to easily access and there are no mysteries. And then our relationship with, with HC Pro and Actus has taken it a step further to help customers consistently create and send compliant queries, which is of course another big security risk or audit risk, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great stuff for, for compliance there, having a process and, and uh, having it all documented, of course. This actually puts a great um, for CDI, honestly, because with the CDI, we're reviewing this medical record and medical necessity is one of the things that we often run into. So if they're not meeting the requirements for inpatient rehab, the CDI and case management at this point, you know, we teach them that work with case management, talk to them, don't work separately. So this is a good point for collaboration. Case management deemed the person wasn't ready. CDI makes sure that it's documented well. Yeah. Yes, Dr. Jonah. Sorry, you're having some sound issues, but I think we can hear you now. <laughs> some whistling. Yeah. yeah. So sorry. Yeah, I mean, looking at the report, there there were definitely opportunities for improvement, uh, especially there were there were mention of uh, DRG errors, and also medical necessity documentation was not met in few of the cases yep um regarding the drg errors i think uh, retrospective queries uh, effective communication between coders cda and also providers uh, should have a huge impact before submitting the final drg codes you know? um, next is inpatient medical necessity for, for Medicare patients, the provider is anticipating second midnight stay. Um, provider taking care of the patient knows how the patient is doing. That is why it's very important to document suspected conditions and um, um, communicating with physician advisor on that day, why it is important um, for the patient to be inpatient rather than Carrying the same patient as an outpatient basis, you know. Mm -hmm. The documentation about the medical necessity, uh, clinical reasoning, medical decision making uh, will have a huge role in preventing uh, denials. Uh, third aspect is uh, rebuild part Bs. We have to look at the cases um, which are like discharged within 48 hours, um, but they were booked as inpatient in, from the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so looking at those cases appropriately, make sure uh, we adjust the status uh, in the background. It's very important um, to prevent these uh, audits in the future, you know? Right. Yeah, those are the, those are the high dollar claims of the, you know, the, they're looking at the, short stays and and if they can you know deny those the stay altogether yeah. then so your, your point about medical necessity and making sure that's represented in the documentation is a good one 
yeah so only the provider in charge of the patient would know what exactly going through the patient and communicating his thought process to the physician advisor team and uh, um team will make a lot of difference in preventing denials in the future you know absolutely all right well Appreciate the discussion here, everyone. We're, we're going to be wrapping up. We're a few minutes over, but uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Actus podcast. We are going to be back here again in just one week, uh, next week, next Wednesday, July 1st, for listener mailbag. We've gotten, gosh, two, three, four really good questions in uh, that we're going to be addressing on next week's show. So it's going to be a mixture of clinical slash coding related questions we've received and we'll attempt to tackle on the program. Um, as a reminder, you can listen to the Actus podcast anytime on our website. We record our programs and post them or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. We try to get the recordings available um, at minimal by the Friday following the live show. And again, all the links we discussed, including the OIG report, will be available on the show page at actus.org and also in the show notes on your podcast player. If you do have any suggestions for future guests or ideas about the format of the show, please do send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. Again, wanted to thank our guests today, Dr. Jonah, Marisa, and Jennifer, as well as Charm, for their input on today's topic. Uh, thanks again, and we'll see everyone back here again in one week for our next show. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.